My guest today went from broke and sleeping on his friend's couch in 2013 to then making 150K with no degree just a year and a half later at the age of 21. Since then, he's accomplished things such as 1.6 million in W-2 income by the age of 28 with zero debt. He's been the number one account executive at Salesforce in growth and small business on the healthcare division, and he's helped his coaching clients secure jobs at Andrewson Horowitz, Zendesk, and Outreach.io. And he's currently an enterprise account executive at Asana. Introducing my dear friend, Brandon Klauser. Brandon, welcome to Winning Streets, my man. Let's go. I'm fired up to be on here. What an intro. That's by far the best <laughs> intro I've ever gotten, man. I'm fired up right now. I got goosebumps. You can't see them. So super excited uh, to be here today, man. Thanks for having me. I had to hype you up a little bit. I mean, um, I have been following you for a long time when I joined Salesforce and really was able to get sort of inspired from afar for a long time, just watching you lead the da- the dashboards at Salesforce. I mean, like, man, this guy's there every single time, whether it was like effort, pipeline, ACV. And that's really what I aspired to get through. So I got to start by just saying thank you, man. Like, thank you for for paving the way, you know, leading by example and showing everyone else at Salesforce how it's done. Yeah, absolutely, man. You're crushing over there now as well. But yeah, Salesforce was fun, man. It's uh, it's a great place to work. And, um, you know, I think that's what it's all about, right? Like you, you can talk a big game, but at the end of the day, you got to show up, you got to put in the work, you got to put in the activity. And uh, the great thing about sales is there's nowhere to hide. The, the, the results are in the numbers, right? Yes, sir. That's that's certainly true. Um, and I want to figure out how you got here a little bit because sort of in the intro it was mentioned, you know, you started in sales really without a college degree. Uh, so take me back to where your mental state was at when you were on your friend's couch, just not really doing anything to where you are now. Yeah. So I'd actually, when I was 18, I moved to Maui, Hawaii and uh, I had restaurant jobs but party on the beach, just have a really good time. But uh, after a while, I was broke and I had a lot of ambition. And Maui is kind of a slow place with not a lot of job opportunities. So um, I moved back. I lived with three of my best friends in a two-bedroom apartment. And yeah, I had a there was like a little dining room slash kitchen area. So I put up like a tapestry and I put my bed on the ground. And uh, that was my new home. So uh, that's, that's kind of... Um, you know, where I was at, I was washing dishes at a Mexican restaurant called Ricardo's in Chico, California. And then the, uh, a gentleman moved in next door to us and his name was Jordan. Shout out to him. And he was a telemarketer. Um, and he told me that for every appointment he set that sold, he made 150 bucks. So I was like, let's go. So I drove him to work every single day. I had like this old 1988 Lincoln Town car. I showed up two or three times and they eventually hired me. So that was my first ever job being a telemarketer. Um, I was making like 300 to 400 calls a day on an auto dialer. And that's really how my journey began. That's a, that's a crazy journey and an awesome, I didn't know that about, uh, Maui, which is amazing. So you, you got a taste of president's club before you ever even got there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh. I wasn't staying at a five-star resort though. So it wasn't quite the same. (laughs) Yeah. I hear you. Um, one thing that you said that I've thought about a lot is like, you, you know, you have that telemarketer background, right? And when I joined Salesforce, my dad straight up thought I was going to work at a call center. Like he thought I was going to work to be a a telemarketer. But from what I understand, you know, those are really two completely different skill sets. Um, I think there are a lot of applicable skills from one area to another, but I'd love to hear from you. You know, what have you noticed the biggest differences and similarities being between your time as a telemarketer to then you know, now working in enterprise SaaS sales, whether it be Salesforce, Asana, et cetera. 
Yeah, that's a really good question, Tanvir. I think that 90% of the skills that I learned as a telemarketer, quite frankly, translated over to my success in software sales. Because when I look at it, it's really all about the intangibles. It's about having the right mindset every day. It's around putting in the work. It's about the effort. It's about the hunger and wanting to be the best, right? And I think skills can ultimately be taught, but those are the things that really separate the okay reps from the people that really crush it. So when I look back on my journey, when I was going through that and I was making all those calls and I was in that kind of really low point in my life, I was developing character, I was developing grit, and I was forced to have a good mindset, right, in order to get to where I wanted to be. So um, that's the first thing. I think the second thing is, yeah, it is a really rough transition, right? Because I went from just making calls to having to write emails to executives, having run discovery, having to negotiate like really big contracts and things like that. And so one thing that I did early and often that I think really helped me is ask for help. I had to seek out people that were doing what I wanted to do at a high level um, and that had done it successfully. So every single role I went to, um, you know, I found a mentor and basically was like, I need your help. Will you show me how you do this? Generally, I picked the top producers, made best friends with them and really just shadowed all their calls and followed them around. But it was still really difficult, right? There's a lot of different skill sets from just picking up the phone to you know, managing an account team, creating a point of view, you know, all of those things I'm sure you're familiar with at Salesforce. Yeah, that skill set in sales is very, very underrated. And I think you and I being in it, it's almost hard to think about the things that to us are very obvious, right? Like yeah. things like quantifying business impact, setting next steps, you know, having a mutual plan to work on, like things like that, which are obvious are genuine skills like i read a post the other day and it was like the amount of skill sets like not just one but that that are encompassed in sales like copywriting um soft skills negotiation listening um just like it's it was a laundry list of sub skills that roll up into sales um and i was fascinated i'm just fascinated by that and like how much how little we we actually know about the role, you know? Yeah, I think we take for granted like how much that we actually know being in tech sales and working with a lot of people who aren't in tech sales or going into tech sales. Like you said, a lot of those things that I would just take for granted, people don't know about. And so I think it's really important to kind of share that message and like help people get there. Um, like I have knowledge or I think we have knowledge that we don't think others would get value from and we share it and people are like, wow, this is like so helpful. So yeah, I think that's a really good call out and it just comes with time. I think if you get to work at really good companies, it helps, right? Like I learned so much at Salesforce, um, that I never, that I might've not gotten going to a different company. Now I'm in a sauna. I get to manage really large enterprise accounts and I've learned a lot there. So I think, you know, all of those skills, it took both of us years to like accum accumulate those, but I think you're right. Like it's important not to take them for granted. What are the things that you think that you learned here that have been, you know, applicable now in your role today and like that you just, you don't take for granted as much anymore now looking on at what you learned at Salesforce from the outside? Yeah, I think creating a point of view, managing an account team, and being able to align company resources to an account are really important. 
when I first got to Salesforce, I still had the lone wolf mentality where I can do everything myself. And what I quickly realized is that the people that were performing consistently at a high level were really just good at aligning um, the resources they had at hand, executives they had at hand to the account team, right? So like creating that executive engagement, bringing in industry experts experts, leveraging RVPs and uh, managers, right, to create a better experience for the customer. Those are the things now that I think are really important that I don't take for granted. And generally, the more people that I can get involved in a deal cycle, the better. I also think a lot of it's perception. You know, when you're Mm -hmm. dealing with large enterprise customers and they're evaluating to buy software and you just show up with one or two people, there's not a lot of confidence there. But if you show up with your solution engineer, your CSM, your manager, an industry expert, it's like, wow, like we're going to be really supported. So that's one thing that I don't take for granted that I really try and focus on is how can I do a little less and get Mm -hmm. people that, you know, have different skill sets involved in this deal cycle? Yeah, one of the things I love doing the most on on calls, whether it's like a demo call um, or a discovery call where I'm showing our team, it's like, look, you have an army of resources behind you to make sure that this project is successful. And they're always like, oh, wow, like, you know, we've got a productivity expert, sales productivity expert, or we've got a solutions engineer from core and marketing. So um, definitely enjoy that part about being, being the quarterback on these deals. But like you said, you know, 90% of, the results come from the intangibles and I've experienced this myself, but can you dive into that a, a bit more? Like what is made up in that 90% and how have you worked on those intangibles? Yeah. I think the first thing is that it all starts with a desire uh, and how bad that you want it. And I know that sounds like really cliche and kind of like pep talky, but it really is true. I think every opportunity that every opportunity that I've had, I've generally wanted to be the number one rep. And it doesn't mean that I didn't want the others that I worked with to be successful. I wanted them to be really successful as well. Um, But I've wanted to really demonstrate my skill set. And I really wanted I've had that desire to want to be the best. So I think that's the first part, right? Generally, if you don't have the vision, or you can't see yourself being a top performer, then it's going to be really hard to ultimately get there. I think the second thing that is really important uh, that makes up a large part of it is just your mindset and being able to show up even when you don't feel like it, right? Generally, salespeople are emotional people. They're very social people. And so when they're constantly rejected or told no, or they have expectations and things don't go their way, then it's really easy to get in your own head um, and not be willing to show up in that like positive energy state. So I think protecting my mindset, like taking the time before the day starts to do prayer, to do meditation. I like to like listen to my favorite music that like pumps me up and gets me inspired and make sure that I'm operating at a really high energy frequency. Like I genuinely think that human interactions are just an exchange of energy. So if you have really bad energy, your customers are going to feel that. But if you have really great energy and you're coming to the table like full of positivity and swagger and you feel confident that your product or solution can solve a business problem for them, like people feel that. Um, And then I think the last thing, this also sounds kind of cliche, but there's a reason everyone says it, is like you can't give up, right? Like I remember days when I first started at Salesforce. Yeah. I remember days when I first started at Salesforce where I was taking the BART train and I was like crammed in with like all of these people 
And like, I hated it so much. And like, there's a lot of times where I'm like, maybe I'll just do something else. And I almost gave up. And then, you know, the next year I was in president's club and made more money than I ever had. So I think just continually to consistently show up and not give up having a good mindset and making sure that you're operating from a high energy frequency are really kind of all of the things that you should be focused on. In addition to, you have to want it, right? You have to want to be a top rep else you're not going to get there. Yeah. That last one is huge. This just happened to me. So I know the crazy power of it, but like, it's been a tough year for a lot of salespeople, right? Um, in the middle of a quote unquote, our word recession. Some people believe we're in it. Some people believe we're not, whatever you believe it's been a tough year for sales, you know, layoffs, uh, people not meeting their quotas, et cetera, et cetera. And I was just getting, I felt like taking punches on the chin, like over and over and over again, deals at final stages, like falling apart, budget economy. We got to, you know, push the timeline on this, so on and so forth. And, um, you know, at the time I called up another guest who's been on this podcast, Ian Koniak, to talk to him about it. And just like, you're like, man, this is this is difficult. It's tough. And, you know, Ian gave me the advice, which is like, look, you can't control what the outcomes are going to be. But when you put like consistent effort in and you show up, somehow the universe figures out a way to like give you what it is you're looking for. And then last week I closed the biggest career, the biggest transaction of my entire Salesforce career. So like, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so, uh, that not giving up, I was, I was, I, I don't want to say I was close, but I was thinking about it. Like I was like, should I go somewhere else? Like, w- like what, what do I got to do right now? Um, what do I have to do right now? And, uh, yeah, that was a big, just like stay in the game, keep putting in the effort and it'll work out. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. You know, you're going to have good years. You're going to have bad years. I think some of the years that I thought were bad years, I developed the most I ever have as a salesperson and ultimately set me up, right? So I think that's important to remember too, is that, you know, times like this, you're really showing how skilled that you actually are, right? Like, for the past three or four years, like when the economy is going great and everybody is software, everyone's buying in growth mode, like it's not as challenging. But I think now it really forces you to double down on your craft, making sure that you're, you know, have the proper next step with your customers, making sure that you have a business value case and you're doing everything the right way. And I think ultimately that will pay off. So I do think right now it's tough, but I think a lot of people that can make it through these times will come out better in the long run. Mm-hmm. why do you think you've been able to be a top performer so many times like a lot of people you know say they want to be the best or say they want to be number one but few people actually do it what do you think has set you apart from others to be able to accomplish those milestones you know i really don't i don't know i would say that sales has just been a part of who i am and i don't know anything else right like Tanvir and I, we were on a phone conversation the other day and he was like, what would you do if you weren't in sales? And I was like, uh, I really, I couldn't give him an answer. (laughs) (laughs) So like, to me, it's like, it's like who I am and it's like everything that I know I've like put so much time and energy and effort into it. And like, it genuinely means a lot to me. Right. I think some people like sales as a means to an end, like it's a job and yes, obviously I need to pay my bills and obviously, you know, I want to invest money and things like that. But like, I genuinely enjoy doing it. 
And I think when you genuinely enjoy doing something and you're passionate about it and you like visualize yourself being the best, like you're always going to beat people that aren't genuinely passionate about it because eventually they're going to give up or they're just going to get miserable. Right. So it's like, if you love doing it, then it's not hard work anymore. I mean, there's some of that, but it's just, Hey, I love doing this. I'm passionate about it. And you get a new like type of energy that you wouldn't, if you just look at, look at it like a job. Right. So Mm -hmm. like, especially early on in my sales career, like I was like, man, like I want to get there before everybody else. Right. Like I want them to see that I'm the first one there. Like, Oh, I'm like, I want to be the number one on the board or, Oh man, like I want to make sure that I'm I'm, you know, the number one producer this month. Like I'm going to stay late and come early. Like I'm I'm hungry for it. I think mm-hmm. the other thing and Tanvir, I really love this about you too is like my whole life growing up, like I played sports <laughs> and I like love to compete and uh I'm the youngest of six and I like think I think in business like sales is the closest thing that you can come to in terms of like sports right like there's leaderboards there's statistics right like um you know the top performers do really really well the bottom performers out of the league right so like there's a lot of Mm -hmm. analogies between like sports and sales that i really like and i think a big part of it is just like um you know wanting to compete wanting to show up every day so i'd say those are probably the reasons why i've kind of like stood out from the pack over the years that's something i've been thinking a lot about the parallels between athletics and sales because i think anybody who's been in athletics who let's say like they're grinding all their life to get the league or or whatever it may be and they don't make it sales is is the next best option because it allows you to apply damn near everything you learn from an intangible standpoint and apply it and i honestly believe that if you have the right attitude and if you're coachable you anything is possible like you can you can do so much in tech sales just from just from that mindset and mentality Yeah. I was just on the phone with somebody and they were asking me like, what do they like, what should they focus on? Like getting their first SDR role or like if I was hiring for an SDR, what would I look for? And like, that was my answer, right? Like I can teach you how to make a cold call, how to write an email, how to follow up, like how to run a discovery. Like I can teach you all those things, but like, I can't teach like showing up to the office early, leading the board in activity and like wanting to be the best. Right. So (laughs) I think like Mm -hmm. those are the things that just like can't be taught. So if you can combine those, with wanting to develop and the skill set, like the sky's really the limit for you. I wanted to double click on what you said about passion. Because I think passion is such a funny word, um, especially <laughs> when it comes to work, right? Yeah. Like, do we need to be passionate about what we do in order to succeed? Or do we just need to be good at what we do in order to succeed? What's your take on that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, right? Like there's people that are super good at sales that aren't like, oh, like I love selling software, right? Uh, For me, like I love it. I enjoy it. I think it's so much fun. I think the challenge of it and the pursuit of it is something that like I really enjoy and that I really like. So I think there's Mm -hmm. people that are just extremely naturally talented at what they do and they're willing to put in the work and they want to support their family and they do great. And then I think there's people that have both of those things, right? Like they're passionate about it and um, they, ha- they have the skill set. I just think being passionate about it makes it more enjoyable and it just makes it easier to have the energy to show up every day, right? Like, 
at the end of the day, like, let's talk about Kobe Bryant, right? Like he crushed it in the business world and like, he was really good at business, but he loved the game of basketball. Right. And so it just made it a lot easier for him to put in the work because he genuinely cared and was passionate about being the best he could be, particularly about at, at basketball. Was he like super passionate about business? Like, yeah, maybe a little bit. And he was still really good because of the work ethic that was required. But when you combine his passion and you combine his work ethic and took that to basketball, he's like arguably the greatest of all time, right? And so I think that's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah, I've studied Kobe a lot. And I was even listening to a clip of Tim Grover, one of his trainers uh, earlier today. And he talks about it's not enough to be interested. Like you can't be interested in sales if you want to be the best. You have to be obsessed. Like I, there was a time for me where anything and everything I consumed was sales. Like podcasts, like it was salesman podcast. It, it was, and I don't, I'm not promoting this, but like <laughs> I would watch the Wolf of Wall Street to like get myself hyped up, oh, you know, yeah. and uh, so much stuff like that just to like always keep it top of mind, you know, sales books, so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, I think like an obsession is necessary if you want to be at the top. Um, at the same time, I've gone through the experience of, you know, gratefully being number one and, and getting to the top, but then sort of feeling an emptiness inside when I got there. And I was wondering if that's something that you've been through as well, where like you sort of got to the top of the mountain and you were like, well, what's going on here? I should feel accomplished. I don't know if, if that's something you've been through as well. Yeah, I've definitely been through that. I'm super glad you brought that up. I think it's important to talk through that. You know, the things that genuinely bring me happiness are like my connection to my spirituality, spending time with people that I love, um, you know, going outside, going to the beach, like helping other people. Like those are all the things that fulfill me and bring me joy and bring me peace of mind, which is ultimately the things that are most important to me. And I think when we're younger, especially growing up in like this environment where, you know, money is kind of like the, the God to a lot of different people, you see all the cars, you see the big houses and you see this lifestyle and you just assume that if you get to that point that like those people are happy, right? But the reality is it's more of an inside job. Right. And so I think the more you take care of yourself and the more that you develop spiritually and mentally and emotionally and physically, those are the things that are old that will ultimately bring you joy. And I had to like learn that lesson the hard way because I sacrificed a lot of those things in my early 20s to get to the top. And looking back at it now, I wish I would have made them more of a focus. And I ultimately like paid the price in those other areas. So I also think when you're when you take care of yourself, like of all of those different aspects, um, everything flows easier and you get even better at sales. So, yes, to anybody out there listening that thinks that like just by getting to the top of the leaderboard or, or making an X amount of money is going to bring you like this immense joy and be the answer to all your problems. Like at least on my personal experience, like that wasn't the case. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, the flip side of that is that we can only say that because we've we've gotten there. Um, you know what I mean? So a lot of, a lot of people might listen to that and say, oh, you know, who are they to say that they've, they've already done that or, or whatever it is, but, uh, it's true. You've, you've nailed it on the head. You know, it didn't all of a sudden magically solve all my problems and I had to actually sit with them a little bit more deeper, but this is something that I, that I was speaking to with, uh, speaking with, to a friend about 
recently, which was like, always had this like very ambitious attitude, right? But now that I've introduced more spirituality, more meditation, more like sort of personal development and self-development um, practices into my routine, you it can almost sort of like stunt your ambition. I don't know if you've gone through this, but like when I meditate, it sort of reminds me of what's important, right? Which teaches me that like, all right, being number one or being making a lot of money isn't the most important thing, but I'm like, damn, like, do I really want to stop that ambition? Like, do I really want to put a, you know, quiet that, that voice down? And that's like a weird place where I've been at, um, trying to make those two sides of me that ambitious, but also that like fulfillment seeking side, try to cooperate with each other. Um, curious if you've been, if you're, you know, been through or going through that as well. I have. I'm so glad you brought that up. And it's such a crazy experience to go to, right? Because when you're first getting started, you have this like insatiable desire and hunger to like work these long hours and like it's all that matters. And you're just like, you know, like almost desperate to be successful and willing to do like whatever it takes. And then you start getting connected like spiritually and, you know, you start to get some money in the bank and like you start to get some of the things that you want and some of the goals you set. And you're like, where is this like ferocious fire inside of me that like puts, you know, the success above all costs? I really would. I really think what it is, it's like we're detaching ourselves from our ego. Right. And like who we truly are is, you know, we're spiritual beings. Right. And at least in my opinion. And so this idea of like having to be the best and like having to be number one is like actually your ego. And there's like a saying like the ego is not your amigo, right? And so it's really confusing once you start to detach from that and you're like, oh, I don't have to have all of these things to be happy. And you start to humble yourself a little bit and you realize you don't need it. But what I've actually found in that process is even though sometimes I don't feel that, I'm actually way more efficient and way more effective in my work and I'm producing better than I ever have. So it doesn't feel like I have this like huge burning desire just to like, you know, work 10 hours a day, but it's like a paradox where like if I take care of myself on the other side, the results naturally come and at a lesser of a price, right? So it's like this really weird kind of paradox that I'm going through as well. It's so funny because, you know, same thing's happening to me. You're like, you don't feel the same level of ambition, but somehow the results are better. And I think it's a byproduct of just like you're systemizing your day better. You know what to focus on more. Like you're, you're doing more with your time uh, versus just trying to be like, go, go, go all the time. Like for you and I, I think it was just like dials nonstop all day, every day you know, setting meetings and such. And now like I can go for a focused one to two hour session, make that very, you know, valuable time versus just trying to like do everything all at once. Totally. And I think too, you made a really good point. Like early in your career, like it's, you know, generally it's like, okay, if I make X amount of dials, I'll set this many amount of uh, appointments. If I do this many appointments, this many will close. But as you evolve in your sales career, a lot more of it is like strategic and creative and like flow state thinking, right? That where if you just worked really hard, but you didn't have a good strategy and a plan and it wasn't really thought through, like it doesn't really matter how hard you work, right? And so I think that's the other kind of natural evolution you go through. When you first start, it really is like those intangibles that we talk about. But then as you move up, as you start to work at more advanced deal cycle, you start to work with bigger customers. Like, yes, you still have to work hard, but you also have to have to have that kind of like strategic or like flow state aspect of 
of it. So it doesn't feel like you're working as hard because you've learned how to kind of almost work smarter. Right. And so I think that's the other aspect of it as well. It's like, oh, maybe I don't feel exhausted at the end of the day today, but like I put together like a phenomenal perspective on how I can help this company grow. And I got it out to the C-suite and they're like interested in chatting with me about it. So I think that's part of it too. Yeah. And I think everyone needs that hunger stage. Like I think everyone needs to go with that through that heavy ambition, work extra hours. You know, I remember an SDR, I'd come in on the weekends and we'd, we'd work the 800 line like that. Like I was totally work evenings, weeknights, weekends, whatever ready to work and ready to get as many at bats as possible that at a time when you've, when you sort of gone through the app app process, then you can take what you've learned from all of those experiences and apply it to be more sustainable and strategic because sales ultimately is a, is a long game, right? It's consistency over, you know, sprints basically, um, from what I've, what I've observed. I'm sure you have too. Yeah. Yeah. I think about it too. Like, back to sports you know it's you know i don't know some people don't like the sports analogy but like who are the people that have been in the league for like a really long time right i'm sure you're familiar with this but like i guess we could go back to like kobe or lebron like they have a team of people around them to like help take care of their body of like what they eat like they have uh you know prayer and meditation practices or spiritually connected they have like a team of people around them that is like required to perform at like a really high level. And I'm only 28, but I've been doing this now for like nine years. And to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I've almost been in sales for a decade, right? Like there's professional athletes that have, you know, that's a long time. So not that I say I'm a professional athlete, but yeah, I do look at it now, like more as a marathon versus a sprint. And like, how can I use my energy as strategically as possible because I'm probably going to be in this game at least for another 10 years. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to even just how you got this whole thing going, like your entire sales journey, because you did it without a degree. Right. And there might be a lot of people out there who think like, okay, well, I can't, I can't break into something like tech sales. Like I don't have a bachelor's, whatever, you know, any sort of certifications, accreditations, whatever it may be. How did you go through that journey? Um, because it is a difficult one. So like, talk us through what that process was like. Yeah, I mean, the no degree thing um, got easier and easier to handle as I was able to demonstrate my performance. So I knew that like every single role that I had, and it kind of goes back to the question you asked earlier, like I had to be the top performing rep so that the degree thing didn't come back up, right? Because generally, like if you are like a really phenomenal salesperson, it's going to help you in terms of like getting through um, that stage. Um, but every every job that I had, right, that I think I was able to progress through the ranks it was a referral from another company or somebody from the last company that I was at, right? So I went from being a telemarketer and I got a referral in this company called Coffee Table, which was like this digital catalog app. And we had 150,000 monthly active users. And I learned a lot of skills there. But the director of sales there at the time, Holly, she moved down to the Bay Area uh, to work at SmartZip, which was like my first big time software sales role. And she was like, hey, we know this, I know this kid's like 20 years old and doesn't have a degree, but like I can vouch for his work ethic and he's really good. You should at least give him a chance, right? So then I got the chance and then I closed, right? Like I didn't leave that place like without a job offer, right? And then 
once I got into like real software technology sales in the Bay Area, I just knew I had no choice but to be extremely successful. So I, I worked as hard as I possibly could. And then the network of people that I met that saw my work ethic, it was huge, right? And actually, the individual who got me the job at Salesforce was Joseph Reagan, who's still there today. And he said the same thing. He's like, hey, I know Brandon doesn't have his degree. He comes from a non-traditional background, but like we have to hire this guy because he's going to do really well. Then I got into Salesforce, same thing. Like they almost didn't give me the job, had to handle that objection. But because I had somebody who had already worked at the company and like a proven track record of success, they were willing to give me the opportunity. And now as like an enterprise sales rep, like nobody really cares anymore, I don't think, because it's like, look, like the results are in the pudding, right? Like we know you're going to be successful, like whether or not you have the degree, it doesn't really matter. So I think in the beginning, like you really have to show and demonstrate and be desperate and do whatever it takes to get the job. People will feel that if you show up enough times, you'll get an opportunity. But when you get that first opportunity, even if it seems like it's not a great job or like you're not making any money, people are watching and you're developing your skill set and you got to give like 110%. So I think that's my advice. It's like, it's one thing to break into tech sales, which, you know, I, get, I, I teach people how to do. I think there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. But once you're there, being able to perform at an extremely high level, that's really the key. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle. There's a big athlete parallel here as well, because... I was listening to a clip of Thaddeus Young the other day talking about he's played place for the Raptors now, but he was talking about how a lot of young up and coming NBA players think that getting to the NBA is making it. No, it's not. You get to the NBA and then you have to work your butt off to keep your spot in the NBA because thousands of other guys are competing for those same spots that you're in. And if you don't live up to the reputation or your skill set or whatever, they will drop you. Like you will go to the G League, you'll go have to go play in Europe, whatever it may be. But the, but you have to continue to hone and practice your skills once you quote unquote make it. Um, and I went through that too, right? Like I, um, my first interview with Salesforce was an ASDR interview, an intern interview for, for an internship role. But this was me graduating university, and I had already accepted a full time offer at a big time bank. So taking an internship role was like a big, big step down. But I, luckily, I had the results from the bank to like speak for my sales skills. I was like at like 2000% quota at the bank. So at the end of the ASDR interview, I was just like, hey, you know, I really enjoyed this interview. I hope you have too. Here is a paper which shows you my <laughs> like quota and like percentage attainment to quota at the bank that I used to work at. Given these results in the interview today, I'd love if you could consider me for the full-time SDR role. And I got the job and I was like the youngest um, SDR on the floor, but I had to spend the next three to six months proving why I got hired because a lot of people there were just kind of like, I could hear the chatter of like, you know, this guy's young, whatever, so on and so forth. And um, it was hard. Like it was not easy, but uh, you got to put your stake in the ground when you show up to a sales job. Yeah. I think it's okay to have a chip on your shoulder too. Like, I think sometimes that's viewed as like a bad thing or like, oh, like this guy has a chip on his shoulder, but I've always kind of had a little chip on my shoulder because of it, right? Like I have a list of all the companies that have decided not to interview me or told me that I won't be moving on in the process because I don't have a degree. Like a lot of people would say, that's crazy, but I think it's okay. Like, I think it's okay to have a little bit of that chip on your shoulder. I think it goes away um, as you're more successful, but 
a lot of it powered me in the beginning, like you said, like having a little chip on your shoulder, like, okay, like I'm going to prove myself. Like I'm great at this. Like I'm going to show them. Like, I think a little bit of that is healthy and it can really kind of like power you to get to that next level. You know, I'm actually going to even go further and say, I think it's necessary. I think in order to truly be successful, you need to have some sort of chip on your shoulder because just from everyone that I've studied, who's a high performer, top entrepreneur, top CEO, whatever it may be, all of them have some sort of innate insecurity from being hated on, trolled on, um, you know, doubted, whatever it may be. But like that chip on your shoulder, I call it accessing like your dark side. Like everyone's got a dark side that they can tap into and you can let it consume you and take over you, or you can let it motivate you and keep you going. And, uh, I don't think it's, it's always healthy, but when you need that extra push, it's a good place to tap into. How do you, how do you get through tough days? Like sales is hard. So how do you get through those tough days and keep yourself going? I just remind myself what's important, which is like my relationships with the people that I love in my life, giving back and helping others, connecting spiritually, taking care of myself, right? And then I have a gratitude list and that all those things kind of like remind me and give me a perspective on like what's truly important to me in my life. Absolutely, like my career is extremely important to me, but like if all of those things are good, um, it just gives me like, uh, you know, a perspective on like, hey, I'm going to get through this and it's going to be okay. I also think that it gets a lot, like the highs get a lot, I don't know, like in the beginning you have a lot of highs and lows, right? Like the highs are really high and like the lows are really low, like especially in the beginning of your career. But then as you go on and as your career goes longer, like those things start to even out, right? Like the first time you hit President's Club, it's like you're like in sheer ecstasy, like you're going to Hawaii <laughs> with your girlfriend. It's free. You're like, this is amazing. I'm going to meet all these executives. But after you've done it a few times, it's like, oh, like you enjoy it, but it's not like the same, right? Or like when you get that first like twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 commission check, you're like ecstatic, right? And then now you get ones that are even bigger than that. And you're like, oh, that's cool. Like, I'm, I'm stoked, you know? Um, so I think like naturally, <laughs> I think naturally things just kind of like, like settle down, right? Or like if you, when, you, when you first have a really bad day, you're like, oh, it's just terrible. But now you're like, I've had like a thousand bad days now or a hundred bad days. Like, I know I'm going to be all right. And you just kind of like bounce back to that. And I think that also helps with like your emotional energy and like your mental energy, right? Because you can preserve more of that. And you know, that you like you said earlier, right? You just got to keep focusing on the outcomes and things will eventually take care of themselves. I've gotten to the point now where with deals, like before, you know, it's happy years. Like someone says they're going to buy or they show heavy interest. You're like excited. You're like, all right, this deal is going to close. Yeah, yeah. But after enough deals... <laughs> After you go through enough repetitions where deals start falling apart after that initial excitement, you just sort of get to a state of mind where it's like, until the ink is dry, I'm just going to stay even, or I'm going to try to stay even. Um, that's what happened to me with my, with my, you know, sizable transaction. It was just like, until this closes out, like officially, and the quote is converted, I'm not getting excited. I'm just going to sort of keep, keep trudging along and, and try to generate those additional opportunities. And that emotional maturity does take time in sales, but I think it's absolutely necessary to protect your, to protect your mental health, to be honest. And that's crucial. Is there any like particular ways? I know you talked about spirituality, but like, what are your routines to sort of protect your, your mental health in, in this game? 
Yeah, I'll talk about that in a second. Going back to your last point, it's like <laughs> you make it sound like it's great, but basically what happens is you just get your heart broken so many times <laughs> over and over again <laughs> that you just become numb to it. Like it's not like this beautiful, majestic progression. It's like you just like get your hopes up so many times and you just get shot down in the dirt so many times that eventually you're like, okay, like I'm not gonna do this again. Yeah. Just wanted to comment on that. At least that was my experience. Yeah, I think with the mental health stuff, it's all just about um you know, for me, it's spirituality. That's where I get a lot of joy and like connection. Um, I think another thing that's really important, like working from home is like getting outside and like having friends that you can call and talk to and like relate to and just kind of like, um, be on the same page with, like, that's one thing that I like love about our relationship is like, we can call each other and like, we can talk business and strategy and talk about like, you know, how we're working through deals, or we can call each other and be like, man, like I'm really struggling with this or like, I don't know what my vision is for that and things and things of that nature. So I talked about it earlier, this idea, I think you call it like your board of like personal advisors, right? Um, I call Mm -hmm. it kind of like the dream team, but like building a team of people around you to support you is a really, really important, right? So like I have a personal trainer, like I have a therapist, like my girlfriend supports me, like I have, I have friends and family that help me, right? So like, I take care of my diet to the best of my ability. So like, I think all of these things, like I have meal prep that's sent to my house. So like, I don't have to worry about meal prepping. So I think like the more you kind of build that support around you and you build kind of like that dream team or that board of advisors that really helps with your mental health. If you're just doing it all alone and trying to do everything yourself, like it can be really overwhelming. And those times I've tried to do that are like the times that I've struggled the most. Yeah. 100% and I really appreciate you for being one of those one of those people on my personal board it's it's really been great building this relationship with you and and I've enjoyed it um a lot and I and I think we're going to continue to be able to help each other grow and um just like continue to try and get to the top and be number one and be the best and that that all all that stuff is fun but also trying to keep perspective of the things like fulfillment joy spending time with our loved ones. And I think in our conversations, there's been like a really good balance between those two. Um, so I've really enjoyed that, man. Thank you. Where can people find out more about you, learn about you, follow about, follow you? Yeah, absolutely. So on LinkedIn, I'm just Brandon Clauser. And then for all of my social tags, so TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter, it's at Brandon J Clauser, at Brandon J Clauser. So I try and post content all across those platforms for people that are looking to up level their game in tech sales, as well as for people that are looking to get started in tech sales um, as well. So follow along there and hopefully I can provide some value to you. Awesome. I'll be sure to drop those in the show notes. Uh, Before we part ways for today, Brandon, what's one piece of advice you would give to my listeners to help them achieve their next big win? The one piece of advice I would give is be, be, willing to do whatever it takes to get to where you want to go because it will always pay off. Um, Whatever you have to do to get to your goal, even if it seems drastic in the beginning, keep going. The other thing I would say is there's going to be a lot of people in your journey that either doubt you or don't believe in you. And those people might even be your own family members or your friends. But whatever it takes, just keep keep going, keep pursuing it. And I promise you that it will ultimately pay off. That's legendary, my man. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining Winning Streaks. 
And uh, we'll see all of you on the next episode.